It's so, many, it's so interesting how many people want to be overcomers, but they don't want to overcome anything. And they actually think that overcoming means you get to the place where you have nothing to overcome anymore. You will always have something to overcome as part of life. Being a Christian does not exempt you from any problems in life. In fact, sometimes it causes you some problems in life with some people you know and love that don't understand you or what you're doing. And, and serving God does not mean you don't have any more battles to fight. There are always battles to fight and things to overcome in everyone's life. Think about it. Everyone in the Bible has something to overcome. Noah had to go through the flood. Daniel had to go into the lion's den. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had to go through the fire. And I was thinking about this this week. You know, we, we look at that, those passages and we're reading about what happened well, we read it, we know, okay, God's going to deliver Daniel from that lion's den. Daniel didn't know what was going to happen when he got thrown into that lion's den. For all he knew, that was his last day on earth. Same thing with those three Hebrew children thrown into the fire. Because they, they said, King, you throw us in the fire, throw us in the fire. Hey, we're not careful how to answer you. We're trusting God to deliver us. We believe he will. But if not... You've got to get that but-if-not kind of faith. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to believe Him, but if He doesn't even do what, I, what I'm believing Him to do, I'm still going to trust in Him. That's a way to overcome in life. Jonah had to deal with the whale. David had to deal with Goliath. Moses had to overcome his fear of, spirit, of public speaking. Gideon had to overcome his low self-esteem. Peter had to overcome the fact that he denied Christ three times. Thomas had to overcome his doubt. You get the point. Everybody has something to overcome. Last week I speak, preached an Easter message, and today we're getting back to our series on forward in faith. And we've been using the word forward as an acrostic, as our outline, and so far we've spoken on what it means to follow Christ. We've learned about the blessings of obeying Christ. We've talked about how to reach others for Christ. We've talked about how to behold Christ in worship so that we are transformed into the image of Christ. Pastor Deb preached two awesome messages on, on, on the importance of abiding in Christ. And, and two weeks ago, I began to teach on this topic of resisting the devil, of spiritual warfare. Listen to me. You need to know how to fight spiritual warfare. These are not days that we are in. These are not light days. These are heavy days. These are hard days. These are tough days. These are days of warfare. And you've got to know how to resist the enemy. Because when you receive Jesus as your Savior, you're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. But you have an enemy named Satan who wants to keep you. He wants to keep you from being saved in the first place. But if you do give your heart to, to Jesus, he wants to keep you from growing in Christ. He wants to keep you immature. He wants to keep you a baby in Christ. He doesn't want you to mature as a disciple of Christ. That's why we're teaching on maturing in discipleship and moving forward in faith. Because Satan constantly resists every step we make to try to grow in Christ. He is constantly resisting it. He resists you going to church, reading your Bible, praying, giving, serving. He resists your praise and worship. He resists you sharing your faith. And so we talked about you've got to learn how to resist the resistance and, and overcome the passivity. I preached on that a couple of weeks ago, and I spent a lot of time talking about James 4, 7, which says, submit to God, submit to the, uh, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Complete surrender to God is the only way to have complete victory over the enemy. So I preached that, and then last week I preached an Easter message, and I want to follow up that Easter message with a sermon based on Matthew 27 and 28 
that deals with what happened after the crucifixion. After Jesus was crucified, we, we hear about a man named Joseph from Arimathea. The Bible says, this is in Matthew 27, it says that he was a rich man and a disciple of Christ. Now, contrary to what some people believe, you can be rich and a disciple. Jesus said it's hard. It's hard for a rich man. It's like going through the eye of a needle. It, it's hard for the rich to, 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 uh, to be a, a believer because most of them are self-sufficient and don't see any need. But Joseph was a man who was a rich man and a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was his money that enabled him to do what he did next. The Bible says he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. It's after Jesus was dead. Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Now this man, see, he had some influence. He had some influence with the highest people in government because of, uh, because of his finance and his position. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the, of the entrance to the tomb and went away. The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. <clears throat> Sir, they said, we remember while he was still alive, that deceiver, speaking of Jesus, they're calling him a deceiver, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. See, even they knew that. I talked about a couple of weeks ago how the, Jesus told his disciples over and over and over and over and over again how he was going to rise again after three de days and none of them believed it. None of them were waiting there at the tomb after three days for him to rise again. They were all dispersed, discouraged, and depressed because they thought he was dead and going to stay dead. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, the disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you can, as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So they sealed it up, and they had a, a contingent of Roman guards there. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Get that. They reported everything that had happened. The stone was rolled away. Jesus rose again. There was an angel there. The angel spoke to these women. Then they saw Jesus. They, they saw everything. Are you getting this? You may not have thought of this before. I heard this before. They told the chief priest everything that had happened. So the chief priest met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say, here's what you're to say. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. Listen, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And deceptions about the resurrection of Jesus Christ have been circulated around the world to this very day. The title of my sermon today is Believers and Deceivers. And you will see in this story there was a mix of believers and, and deceivers. All through this story, we find truth and we find lies. That's because there is an enemy of the cross. His name is Satan and his major tool, his major device, the major way he works is through deception. When Jesus gives the signs of the times of the, of the, the signs of the end to, of the time, uh, the main thing he says is the enemy is going to deceive. There was so much deception going on around us today. It is amazing the things that people will believe. And all through this story, we see all these ways that deception was involved in the last days of Christ. Satan deceived Judas into betraying Christ. People were deceived to ask for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. Satan used relig religious leaders here to spread deception that the disciples stole the body of Christ. In this story, religious leaders who should have been believers turned out to be deceivers. It's a tough thing when religious leaders turn out to be deceivers. And we find soldiers who crucified Jesus, who you think would be deceivers, but they turned into believers. The ones you thought would be believers became deceivers. The ones you thought would be deceivers became believers. So let's look first at the deceivers. In the, in the Matthew passage, the Jewish leaders accused Jesus of being a deceiver and accused his followers of being deceived, and actually they were deceived, and they became deceivers intentionally. Their, their eyes were open doing this. When Jesus resurrected, the, his enemies came up with a story to deceive people about what happened. They said, well, you know, here's what we're going to say. Those guards fell asleep, and the disciples stole the body. Now, do you know why they had to tell those soldiers, we're going to give you some money to do this, and we're going we're gonna to make sure you don't get into trouble? Because that, that was a capital punishment offense for a Roman soldier. You fall asleep while you're on duty, off with your head. They would be executed for falling asleep while on duty. So the, 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 the religious leaders say, if the governor hears about it, we'll cover for you so you don't get in trouble. But the fact that guards were posted actually worked against them because the body was not stolen. Jesus was actually risen from the dead. And the guards saw what happened. They saw the stone rolled away. They saw the angels who sat on it. And that stone, by the way, was not rolled away to let Jesus out. That stone was rolled away to let others see that the tomb was empty. He's not there. I've been there. I've been there. It's, uh, he's, it says in there, he's not here. He is risen. I mean, it, it's still empty to this day. But on the day Jesus resurrected, people tried to explain it away. And 2,000 years later, people are still trying to explain the resurrection away. Because there's a great deceiver who wants to keep people from the knowledge of the truth. And he knows that the resurrection is at the heart of Christianity. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation through Jesus Christ. And so he goes around using his biggest tool, deception. Deception is a tool of the enemy to cause someone to believe as true something that is not actually true. Or to believe as false something that is actually true. 
Listen to John 8, 44. Here's what Jesus said about Satan. There's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen, if the devil's lips are moving, he's lying. He lies about God. He lies about you. He lies about himself. He deceives people about who he is. One of the, Satan's biggest deceptions is this lie that he does not exist. Or that demons existed at one time in ancient history, but somehow they disappeared off the earth. George Barner's research shows that 60% of adults believe that Satan is not a real being, but he's just a symbol of evil. Here's the really bad news. 46% of born-again Christians deny Satan's existence. That means there could be some people in this room today or watching online who don't believe there's really a devil. Oh, there's evil in the world, but there's not really a devil. That's so sad to me because such a big part of the ministry of Jesus Christ, read your New Testament, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a big part of his ministry was casting out demons. You think Jesus would spend all this time working on something that really didn't exist? You think he really he was casting out things that didn't exist? The other big lie, then, if Satan can't get you to believe he doesn't exist, he, he wants you to believe that he is really almost uh, as, probably as powerful as God. He can overcome you and overcome Christians any times he wants. That lie keeps people terrorized. Listen, we need a true image of Satan and his demons. We don't need to fall into the error of either overestimating him or, or underestimating. We've got to know the truth of 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Listen, Satan is not God's equal. So many people have some kind of a Star Wars mentality of the, of, the, of the force be with you and the force is good or the force is evil and they're kind of in equal tension in the world, you know, the yin and the yang and they keep themselves at balance. Nonsense, lies, deception. God has no equal. God has always been greater, is now greater, always will be greater than Satan. And you have the greater one living in you. You have authority over the enemy. Listen, when it comes to the end and Satan is cast into the lake of fire, it, the Bible says it takes one angel. It doesn't take an army of angels. It just takes one angel and say, come on, let's go, and cast him away. And the Bible says in Isaiah, when you see him for who he really is, you will narrowly look at him, the King James said. You will gaze at him. You will squint at him, and you will say, is this the one? Is this the one that made nations tremble? Is this the one that I let keep me bound all my life? He's deceiving you to think he's something that he's not. So we've got to stay alert to Satan and demonic attacks, and it mainly comes through deception, but Satan fights with all kinds of schemes. Ephesians 6, 10, and 11 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord, not in your power. It's not about you being strong. It's about him being strong and you having a strong faith in the one who is strong. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. Listen, Satan uses the same methods he always has. This is an amazing thing. We know in advance what his schemes are. We should not be caught by surprise. 
the first thing he does is to cast doubt on the word of God. You go all the way back to the word, to, the, to Genesis in the Garden of Edom, Eden, when Satan came to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 1, and this is pretty much his first words, recorded words, uh, did God really say? And then he twisted what God said in order to deceive them. And Satan does the same thing to you. Listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. Look, look at that door. Look at me. This is important right here. Satan does the same thing to you. He's going to try to get you to think God really didn't say that. Or if he got, you see that God really did say that, he's going to try to twist it to get you to think it means something other than what God really said. People are twisting the word of God today like I've never seen in my lifetime. He's going to cast doubt on the word. He's going to twist the word of God. And in the Bible here, I, I, mean, I mean, at this time, it was religious leaders. Listen, just because somebody has a website and, is on, and on YouTube, listen to me. Listen to me. Come on, listen to me. Y'all better be listening to me right now. That don't mean they're speaking truth. Well, I heard old Reverend so-and-so say this. Okay, and I said, you better be like the Bereans and comparing that to this. And if you can't show it to me here, I don't want to hear about it. And I'm telling you, too many people are getting discipled today by people on YouTube that they don't even know who they are. Satan wants to twist stuff, and sometimes he he uses religious leaders to do it. I wasn't even planning on speaking on that today, but I really, I mean, that just came on me, so uh, somebody needed to hear that. And these deceptions by religious leaders back in the day of Christ shows us the different ways Satan deceives. In Matthew 27, 40, here's what they said. Jesus was on the cross. They were mocking him, and they said, uh, come on down from the cross if you are the Son of God. So they want to cast, they cast doubt on Jesus being the Son of God, and Satan is doing the same thing today, casting doubt in people's minds about the existence of God or about Jesus being the Son of God or about Jesus being the only way of salvation. Satan doesn't want you to believe any of those things. And then in Matthew 27, 42, these leaders said, he saved others. He can't even save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we will believe in him. Here they are attacking the power of God. The power of God to save. And Satan wants to deceive people into thinking that God is powerless. God cares. He just, he just can't do anything about it. Or they go to the other extreme. In Matthew 27 43, they said, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he cares for him and will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Here they're attacking whether or not God cares. Whether or not he really cared about it. Jesus is taken on the cross. This is what they're saying to him. Oh, if God really cares for you, 
He, he would get you down off that cross. People are going to tell you that. The enemy's going to lie. If God really cared for you, he wouldn't allow you to be going through what you're going through right now. If God really cared, you're going to hear this from people all the time. This is something you hear from unbelievers all the time. If God really cared, why is there this war going on in Ukraine? If that God really cared, why are innocent people dying? I mean, if God really cared, they're going to attack. Satan deceives people into thinking God is not love. God does not care. Or, or God is powerless. And as we saw in our passage today, these religious leaders that devised a plan to deceive people about the resurrection of Jesus, and Satan is still deceiving people today uh, in all of these ways. This is the main way he, he deceives people. He attacks God's word. He attacks the exist, existence of God. He attacks the power of God. He attacks the love of God. He attacks the resurrection. Those are the main ways he tries to deceive. That's his great work as the great deceiver. And 2 Corinthians says 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the mind of those who don't believe. We are being led around today by a bunch of blind people who do not see the knowledge of the truth. I am telling you, I, I, I might be preaching more on this in coming days. I, I, it's kind of stirring up in me about all the, the incredibly stupid things that are being taught. So excuse me, but, but that's the way I see it. And that people are believing that in this mass deception. It, it's, a, it's mind-boggling. That's why as believers, we've got to have on the belt of truth. We've got to be grounded in the Word of God. We've got to be so familiar with the truth that we recognize the lie. We've got to be so familiar with this book, the Bible, the Word of God, that we instantly recognize the devil's deception. And Satan comes against us in so many ways. But God is greater and God has given us, as I've taught you, he's given you authority over all the power of the enemy. So how do you fight him? Well, you fight him with faith. Ephesians 6.16 says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish an occasional flaming arrow from the evil one. That's how some of us live. Getting shot up, burned up, messed up. And the Bible says, you have the ability through faith and the armor of God to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All of them. How do we do that? Well, Ephesians 6, 17 says we go, we fight with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus is our example. When he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, he won the fight. He won this fight against Satan and he won by talking back to Satan. When's the last time you talked back to the devil? On the way to church, I'm not, talking about any, I'm not talking about anybody you know. I'm talking about the actual devil. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. A.W. <laughs> Tozer wrote a book years ago, I Talk Back to the Devil. I'm talking about out loud, I resist you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. That's how Jesus did it. Over and over he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. He talked back to the devil. We've got to do the same thing. It is written. But to do that, you've got to know what's written. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Amen. What's a stronghold? My definition, it's anything that has a stronghold on you. Pretty easy. 
But in, in, in the passages in the Bible that go, this goes on to talk about, it's, it's, it's thoughts. It's in your mind. You read Joyce Meyer's book, The, the Mind is a Battlefield. I mean, re, I mean it, it, it's true. The mind is where this, this fight is going on, and Satan wants to try to deceive you. And, and, and we build up these strongholds of thinking, and we get ways of thinking that control our life. Ways of thinking that are not biblical, that control our life. But we've got to demolish those strongholds. We have power. How? 1 John 5, 4 through 5 says, This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now listen, I know it's easy to blame the world for all your problems. And the world, the Bible says we have three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil is an enemy. The world, and think about the world right now is fighting against the Bible, fighting against Christianity. The world is this system, that, uh, a man's system of governing, educating, entertaining, legislating, judging. And you look today, courts, legislators, schools, entertainment, they're all rowing in a direction to, to build a, a strongholds in, in, in our minds. And that direction is not in the direction of the Word of God. It's a direction leading people away from the Word of God. But we can't blame the devil for everything. We can't blame the world for everything. I'm not one of those who thinks there's a devil behind every bush because, listen to me, I'm going to introduce you to your third enemy, not just the, the world and the devil. It's you! Yourself. And when I say self, I'm using the Bible word flesh, which is our natural tendency towards selfishness, self-reliance. And listen to me, you cannot cast out self. You've got to die to self. You cannot cast out spiritual immaturity. You must put away spiritual things. You cannot cast out a stronghold of deception. You must renew your mind with the Word of God. You cannot pray for instant maturity or instant sanctification or an instantaneously renewed mind. It takes prayer and faith and action and time in the Word of God. And listen, we tend to blame the devil for everything when sometimes we are our own worst enemy. Not every fight is from the devil. Not every deception is from the devil. In fact, James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Deceiving you. You don't even need the devil at that point to deceive you. Deception comes from not knowing the word of God. Self-deception comes from not doing the word of God. We deceive ourselves anytime we know what the Bible says, but we excuse ourselves from obeying it, from doing it. Oh, yeah, I know the Bible says I should give, but, but God knows I have bills. Yeah, I know the Bible says we should use our gifts and talents, but God knows I'm busy. Yes, I know the Bible says that we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, but God knows I have needs. Yes, the Bible says I, I should submit to authority, but God knows my authorities, they don't deserve my submission. And the list goes on and on of we've given ourselves a pass on obedience, and what all we are doing is deceiving ourselves. I love you so much. I'm trying to help you. At the risk of people getting mad at me, I want to teach you the Word of God. That God says, stop deceiving yourself into thinking you can, can exempt yourself from the Word of God and doing it. 
So we've got to ruthlessly fight Satan, ruthlessly fight the world, and then ourselves. Look, I know it's easier to blame other people and to say, hey, well, that's just the way I am. You better deal with it. But listen, there's believers and deceivers all through the world, all through all times. They were in the time of Christ. And there were believers, listen, some of the believers, not just the 12 disciples, but there, there were other believers in the story, some who were unlikely, like the thief on the cross. Matthew 27 says there were robbers who crucified, were crucified with him and heaped insults on him. But something happened to one of them because in Luke 23, it says one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered them, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Something happened that turned this man from a deceiver into a believer. But not only him, Matthew 18, 54 says, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, these were the guys who crucified Christ. When they saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. What caused him to say this? What caused him to, well, there was four miracles that occurred at the cross in Matthew 27, 45 through 43. It says the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. There was darkness right in the middle of the day. There was an earthquake. Then tombs opened up and the saints of God were raised to life. But the main thing they saw was the unbelievable way that Jesus Christ forgave those who were in the very act of crucifying him. They knew this was more than just a normal man. There was something supernatural about him. So I want to ask you today as I close. Are you a believer? Or have you been deceived by Satan not to believe? Yeah, I get it for some people. It's just not for me. That's for you. That's good. It's not for me. That's one of the biggest lies of Satan. You got your way. I got my way. We all get our way to Jesus. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is not a way. He is the way. And on that cross, not only did he die for our sins, but he disarmed, defeated and disarmed the enemy and made an open show of him. We fight from that place of victory. So don't be afraid. Listen, do not be afraid of spiritual warfare. This is not a fearful thing. Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Don't be caught off guard when Satan attacks. Overcome that deceiver by enforcing the victory that Jesus already won at the cross. Remind Satan of his defeat on the cross. Remind Satan that he is under your feet. Remind Satan that Jesus gave you authority over him. Remind him that the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. Overcome him by speaking the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Tell him, no weapon you form against me will prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me, I condemn. This is the heritage of the saints. We have the truth of God's word. We have the power of the blood of Christ. We have the victory of the cross. We have the authority of Jesus' name. We have the army of God. And in the name of Jesus, we choose to be believers, not deceivers, in Jesus' name. Give him some glory. Hallelujah!